Um, before I read our text for this morning, I wanted to give a quick update on Dennis. Uh, we heard Adrian pray uh, for him. He sent an email to a couple of us this week just to let us know how he's doing. He said, I had, had a fantastic week. If you weren't aware, he's been in Cambodia for the last week, and he's been teaching Vietnamese students. And uh, he has specifically been teaching them things about the church and ministry to enable them, to encourage them, to help them become better participants and leaders in the future church church. The church is uh, in, in incredible ways being grown in Vietnam privately. Uh, Viet- Vietnam doesn't allow the church to be something public. And so these students actually had to come to Cambodia to be taught. They wouldn't have been able to be taught in Vietnam. So Dennis has been with them all week. Uh, he was very nervous heading into it. He felt there was a lot of things he had to learn and deliver to them. There was also just some language barriers. And so he wanted to be faithful to that. And he said it went incredible. So uh, he said thank you to you for your prayers, for thinking about him. He felt that in every way. It's been an incredible time. He said these are going to be incredible leaders, these students for the church, and so he's encouraged by that. Today he's been in a small village in Cambodia, preaching at a small village church in Cambodia as well. And um, these were the students that he was with last week. So even visually, just keep those faces in your prayers. They're going to do some incredible things for God in Vietnam. So uh, Dennis will come back this week as Dre uh, mentioned in her prayer, be praying for his travels back as well. And then he'll be on just a short period of time of vacation, which he so so desperately deserves. So uh, he and Nina and the kids will be enjoying that time away a couple weeks after he gets back. And so let's just pray that he too has a restful time in his vacation. Well, our text today is from Psalm 86. I want to read this to you. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because of you. Lord, you have helped me and comforted me. Let me pray for us today. God, thank you for this reading of your word, this incredible incredible passage that, that lets us look into David's life and his heart. And Lord, I pray this morning as we discuss it, as we talk about it, that it brings us closer to you. It helps us know you more. It helps us understand more our, our ability and place in our, our faith, our practice of faith with you through prayer. 
And God, I pray that you will just be glorified as we walk away from this place today, changed because of your word today, God. And we uh, just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk a little bit about prayer this morning. Prayer is an integral part of our faith, but it's often something that's treated a little bit as a secondary religious tradition. Sometimes it's just something we do before we eat. Um, sometimes it's something we do quickly. Um, sometimes it's kind of just uh, a cast aside. You're in a situation you're like, oh God, take this away from me. Uh, whatever situation you use those, those moments of communicating with God, prayer is actually a solid foundational practice of our faith. And so I want to talk a little bit about today. And Pastor Dennis talked on prayer actually a couple months ago, fantastic message, digging into some of the theological aspects of prayer. And I want to talk a little bit about Psalm 86, seeing how David prayed, who he was praying to, and uh, why he was praying. And I want us to kind of just dig into that a little bit. Um, I read a story one time. There was a guy who was a delivery um, driver, and he would pick up and deliver photos to businesses. Businesses would take photos. They'd get these developed. He'd bring them back. He'd pick them up. They'd get them developed. He'd bring them back. Well, he worked on a pager system, and the pager system drove him nuts. And so he was sitting on the bus one day, sitting next to this guy, and they were talking about their life, and they started talking about what he did. And he said, well, I deliver photos. And so this guy said, but I can't stand my pager. And the guy's like, well, what's wrong with your pager? And he says, well, every time I get a page, the first page tells me what I'm picking up, and the second page tells me where I'm supposed to pick it up from or drop it off to. And he said, but what happens all the time is I get the first page, but I never get the second page. It's like it just never comes. So I know I'm supposed to pick up photos or drop off photos, but I have no clue where I'm going. And I wait around for hours, it seems like, for this page to come through. It drives me nuts. And this guy was talking back to me. He said, well, that's kind of funny. He's like, maybe we need to say a prayer over your pager. And so they both prayed for his pager, just kind of out of fun. And he got a page. And the page said, hey, you need to pick up photos. And here's how many photos you're going to pick up. And the guy goes, watch, I never get the address. And all of a sudden, ding, the pager came through and the address came right through. And the guy looked at him and then looked up at heaven and goes, why don't you answer my prayers that way? And that was this kind of idea of, Our prayers are this cosmic eight ball, this opportunity to have these simple little questions answered. God, would you make my pager work? I think so often we get caught up in those little actions in prayer that we forget what prayer really is about. And in this Psalm 86, David knew exactly what prayer is about and demonstrated it in an incredible way to us. Psalm 86 is this earnest, heartfelt cry of a godly man in a time of distress. He's, he is being attacked or, or uh, kind of tracked down by men that want to kill him and hurt him. But this whole psalm is peppered with all sorts of requests. There's actually 15 requests. Some of them repeated, but all of them fired at God with this kind of sense of urgency. Not just save me, but also, you know, uh, take care of me, extend your grace. It's also times where David cries out to God. He, uh, God hears him and, and acts upon it. And then David extols God as the only true God. He takes a moment to kind of say, you're the only true God. And then uh, David asks God to teach him his way and unite his heart to his. He wants to fear God in an incredible way. And then David finally, again, kind of appeals to God's grace and mercy. So it's this ebb and flow of things with that little need kind of wrapped up in the middle of save me from these awful men. 
Well, the main lesson or one of the predominant messages in this psalm is actually pretty simple, and that's that God alone can truly care for our needs. We can think that we can handle our own needs. We can think we can provide for ourselves. We think, think that other things can take care of us, but God alone can provide for our needs. And so in prayer, our needs should be earnestly petitioned before God. We should be bringing them too. So I mentioned earlier, we're going to just kind of ask or kind of talk about three different questions. One is, why do we pray? One is, to whom do we pray? And the other is, how do we pray? So let's look at why should we pray. Look at verse 1 and 2. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. So David cries out to God to save him. The fact that David does that suggests that David knew he could not save himself. And not just that, but he knew God could save him. David sees himself in this kind of day of trouble. He's, these men are coming after him. He's nervous about it. He's aware of this great need. And instead of trying to take care of it himself, he comes to God and says, Lord, would you provide and take care of these men? Save me, protect me. Now, it seems obvious. I think all of us, when our needs are great, come to God in prayer. We are very faithful to kind of bring the bigger concerns. Right now, we're praying for Mike. Mike is in um, a lot of health, uh, is, is under a lot of stress with his health. And he's been going through some surgeries and needs more surgery. And this is a time of desperate need for him. So he and others are praying for him in this great time of need. But the great time of need is not the only time we should come and pray. See, the reality is that our pride often blinds us to how dependent on God we really are or that we really should be. We rely on ourselves and other people to kind of handle the situations in our life. Sometimes we use other methods or things to kind of ease our troubles. Um, But then when nothing else has worked, then we come to God. You know, I'm a little stressed at work. I'll go out and drink a little more. Or, or you know what, I'm just going to have a fun time with my friends. Or I'm just going to get over it. I'm going to breathe deep and we're going to be fine. But eventually that stress turns anxiety and it turns into blood pressure and maybe even depression. And now we're at our feet on our knees before God praying for him. Um, there's a quote that's credited to a pastor from the 1600s. His name was John Bunyan, and this is what he said. He said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. And I like that quote because it reminds us that the first thing we should be doing is coming to God in prayer. When there's something in our life that we need to think through, there's something in our life that stresses us out, there's something in our life that we need direction or wisdom, there's something in our life where we have a need and we are desperately in need, we should bring all those things before God immediately at first and foremost. Start with prayer. Um, perhaps even when we pray, we should open our prayers with, God, I come before you today, now show me why I need you. Show me the great needs in my life where I'm dependent completely on you. That would change a lot about our prayers if we did that. I think we all see ourselves basically as good people. I, th- I think we all think, well, we're good people. I mean, we know we have problems. We know we're not perfect and that whole deal. But um, we don't always feel we need a Savior. We don't always feel we're in need. And uh, the reality is that even though when we come to God and lay our life before Him and, and we are redeemed and and walk through this incredible life of reconciliation and changing and, and Him making us new creatures, we still are in desperate need of a Savior. There's never a time 
that we don't need God's help. And we should be continually reminded of our dependence on God. And this was something that this prayer does in Psalm 86. It's all through Psalm 86 you see how David is coming before him and saying, I recognize you, but I also know that I need you because I'm weak. And you're powerful and you are God. And there's people that are against me and going to hurt me. Please save me. And God, change me like you. Let me know you more so that I can be more grace-filled even to my enemies. It's this incredible prayer of truly being dependent on God. There's not a moment where David has an answer for what he's going through in his prayer. He's asking God for complete and total answers and care. So in Psalm 86, David is in a literal time, literal time of distress. He's concerned for his safety. Look at verse 14. It says, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. So David's fearing for his own life. He like he he's in trouble and he knows that only God can help him. Um, and so in confidence, David knows that he can come to God and say, "Hey, I need your deliverance. Deliver me. I know you're Lord of all. I know you're powerful. I know you can do this. Please help me." Uh, David was a man who spent a lot of time in worship and prayers. You read through the Psalms; it is predominantly his basically time of communicating with God and praying to God through song, through poem, through just specific prayers of pleading, of rejoicing. It wasn't all bad when David came to God. He came to God in rejoicing as well. Some of the the most uplifting worship songs we sing are, are influenced by David and the way he wrote in the Psalms. David spent a lot of time in prayer and he knew exactly who God was. Because of that time in prayer, he knew exactly who he was praying to. So who are we praying to? We know why we pray. We are a people that need to be reminded constantly of our dependency on God. And so through prayer, we spend time with him. We bring our needs to him. We ask him for help. We petition to him. We confess to him. But who do we pray to? Well, it's kind of obvious. We pray to God, but we pray to the one true God, the Lord of all. David says this in this passage. It's incredible. We need to know God's attributes to understand when we come to pray before him who we're praying to. Because when we understand his attributes, we have confidence to come to him in prayer. Look at verse 5. It says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And then verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's good, forgiving, abounding in love, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, faithful. That's someone I want to bring my problems to. That's someone I want to bring my cares and concerns to. Knowing God as we spend time in prayer allows us the confidence to come before him because we know who he is when we hand him our needs and our petitions. David fears the enemy. He knows what they're capable of, but he also recognizes the God he prays to and the power that he has to deliver him. And so he brings his need to God. Look at verse 8 to 10. 
There's no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. David comes into this passage going, Lord, I'm coming before you. I need your mercy. I want to know more about you. I recognize you as Lord and Savior. You're incredible. And so I need your help. I'm about to be killed. Can you please take care of me and even make them see your power through the way you treat me? I mean, that's what David's doing in this passage. Seven times in this psalm, David uses the word Adonai. And Adonai is an incredible word that means Lord, but it's encompassing more of that. The Greek and Hebrew words are so full that, we, and we end up watering them down to kind of this, these, these English words that we can understand. So Adonai means Lord, but it just doesn't mean Lord. It means Lord of all. God is sovereign. God rules all. God is king forever. Everyone will bow down to him. He has ordained things about that us and this world that no one else can ordain. God is Lord of lords, King of kings. That word Adonai means so much, and it's used seven times in this passage, and that's because David recognizes who he is praying to. Knowing God and his attributes and his incredible gifts that he has to offer us should give us confidence when we pray. It should give us confidence when we fall into times of need. It should give us confidence when we are in in times of, of happiness and joy to come before God and celebrate with him and thank him and then also to provide for him these things that are concerns to us in despair, things we're confused about. We should have confidence. We know that there's things out there that can oppress us, but ultimately... God is in control. I want him in charge of my concerns, of my needs. God's always calling us to him. He's always inviting us to come and and rest and receive his mercy and grace, his peace and his love. And in some cases we are worried, I think, that we burden him even with our requests. I know that some of us are people that just in general don't share a lot with other people because we don't want to burden them with what we're going through or with what we're feeling. They already have enough troubles of their own. But that's not so with God. We need to understand that God is way bigger, way bigger than any of our troubles could ever be. He can handle much more than we can ever bring him. In this passage, we're repeatedly reminded that his loving kindness is abundant. Look at verse 13. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. God's love is steady, reliable, committed. We can't exhaust it. We just sang about this this morning. His love is relentless. It won't quit. Nothing is too small for him. Nothing bothers him. We are not burdensome to him. Our prayers should be constant and continual because God is ready and prepared to listen and to care and to provide. Um, David wrote much of the Psalms, and I love what he wrote in Psalm 136 that kind of relates to this. I just want to read the first few verses. There's 26 verses in Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
26 verses and 26 times David ends with God's love endures forever. It's like he's trying to make a point there. He is, but he's making a point because he knows this. He's declaring who God is because he understands the attributes of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God. He's experienced this in his times with worship and prayer with God. And he makes sure that we are aware completely because he's aware that God's love endures forever. And so all through the Psalms, we know of God's love. And all through this Psalm, we are hearing about God's steadfast love. His abundant love should motivate us to come to him in prayer. All our needs, great or small, we should be aching to spend time at his feet because of what he can provide for us. So we know why we pray. We know who we pray to. Um, But how do we pray? I think this is something that most of us have questions about. And I'm not going to hit all these amazing areas uh, of how to pray. There's how-to books and and ways to to make it happen and things that we should think. And I don't want to go there. I want to stay on this passage today, Psalm 86. And Psalm 86 tells us three ways we should pray. And it says we should pray continually. It says we should pray thankfully. And it says we should pray in humility. So I think too often, like I was just saying, we worry about what to say, the words that are going to come out of our mouth when we pray. How do we start? How do we even ask for this? Sometimes we're embarrassed about what we need to bring before God. But here's the thing. If we know anything from the Bible and read through the Bible, we know that God knows our heart. He knows our intent. And he is way more concerned and interested in who we are than the words we say. The words will come. And sometimes they won't. Yesterday, um, Tam and I were talking about this section of the message, excuse me, and um, she reminded me that there were times that our kids would be in distress or be scared or have something that was just burdening them as they were little kids, and they would often come up and sit on our laps, and they wouldn't say anything. We wouldn't say anything. We'd just hold each other. But we knew what was going on, and they knew what was going on, and that was a time of just our needs being cared for mutually with each other. It's this incredible opportunity that even when words weren't said, that something was happening. And that happens with our time with God as well. Just spending our time focused intently, our heart dwelling in God's presence in prayer, in meditation, just coming to Him and resting in His lap, He knows our heart. He knows what's going on. He understands the concerns, the joys, the whatever, the fears, whatever's happening. We don't have to worry about the words we're saying. Don't get, don't get locked up in that. Just come. Come to him. David's close relationship with God permeates his entire prayer. It permeates all of Psalms. It's incredible. He knew God intimately and personally because he'd spent so much time in his presence, purposefully, intentionally. So he felt free to pour out his heart as he does through this passage. He's asking for grace and mercy. He's asking to be delivered from people. He's even asking God to make them embarrassed about trying to hurt him. I mean, he's confident in this prayer. He's like, God, you're the greatest, and you know what? They need to see it all. So how do we pray? Those three things, continually, thankfully, and in humility. Let me, let me do, we pray continually first. Um, in verse three, David says, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Uh, I love probably the most famous verse or 
consistent verse that we hear about praying continuously is in 1 Thessalonians 5 where Paul basically says that we should pray without ceasing. And that always kind of, I think, hangs us up a little bit. What in the world? Pray without ceasing. Am I just not supposed to sleep? Constant prayer, constant talk, what does it mean? No, it's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that we should constantly be coming to communication and prayer with God. We should constantly be in connection with God. Our lives should be completely in tune and connected to God as we're going through our day. Um, a couple months ago, Tam and I saw some friends we hadn't seen for a while, and for the period of Lent, the 40 days, their church had a room at their church that for 24-7 was worship and prayer. I thought that was crazy. Uh, but incredible. And of course, there are a lot of volunteers. It just wasn't one or two people helping with this, but they wanted to have continuous worship or prayer going on for the 40 days, and they did it. What an incredible thing, an incredible image of the church. But we need to be praying continuously, always coming to God with our needs, with our passions, with our desires, with our questions, with our concerns, continuously at his feet. And then also, we learn that we should be praying thankfully. In verse 12, it says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. He thanks him over and over in the Psalms, over and over in the Psalms. In fact, in that passage in 1 Thessalonians where Paul told us to pray without ceasing, the verse right after that, verse 18 says, in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Paul is teaching the church to pray, guys, be constantly in prayer. And when you're in prayer, Make sure you are giving thanks. Start it, root it, foundation it in thanks because God's will for you is to be thankful. And if you're thankful, it's because you know who God is. You understand him for his attributes, his power, his glory, his forgiveness, his peace, his mercy, his grace. You understand that. And so when we come in prayer, what are we going to do first? Man, thank you, God, so much for who you are. Be praying In gratitude, we should be praying thankfully. If we believe who God is, if we believe who God says he is, and we believe the attributes of God, even the ones we've spoken of today, then our prayers are to be given in thanks. We can't give thanks to God from a heart unless we're submissive to his sovereign hand in our circumstances. And we believe that he's working even our trials together for our ultimate good. And that kind of leaves a little side note that I won't spend a lot of time on because I don't have a lot of answers, if any, for this. But why does God not answer our prayer sometime? I can't answer that. I can't answer it with, a, with a, an answer that would give you some sort of um, walking out of this place feeling, oh, okay, cool, I like that. I think that's something that we're all going to wrestle with We have a faith in Christ. We have a belief in God. We understand who he is. We bring our needs to him. And sometimes we don't feel that they are answered. I don't know why. Why did one person live and and another not live? Why did one receive the job promotion and another not receive the job promotion? I don't know. But if I believe God for who he is and I believe him for his sovereignty and that he is working it all out for good, I still come in gratitude and thankfulness, understanding that he has ultimate peace and he is going to be ultimately faithful with me. And I'm reminded that 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus spent time praying to God and He begged God to take His sacrifice away. He didn't want to go through with it. He said, please, if there's some other way to do this, please take it away from me. And God told him no. So we're in good company. Even Jesus got a no. Didn't get the answer he wanted. But we can look at what took place with Jesus and when God said no and the ultimate good of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And I believe there's somewhere in there that we need to rest in a peace of understanding that even when our prayers aren't answered or might not be answered the way we want them to be, that God is still control and we trust him for what's to come. So we pray continually, we pray thankfully, and then we pray in humility. Uh, David's prayer, Psalm 86, is permeated with humility. He doesn't angrily demand a a better treatment in light of the fact that he's God's chosen king. He doesn't sit there and go, come on, why are people still chasing after me? We've gone over this. I'm king now. We're good. Why is this happening? No, he doesn't do that. Rather, he prays for God to be gracious to him. He refers to himself as God's servant, as the son of his handmaid. He admits that he's afflicted and needy. He recognizes his weakness by asking God to grant him strength. Think about this. David, God's king, he wrote these words down. He knew they'd be read. He knew that his actions and his posture would be understood by the people around him. And what took place? Those things aren't cool for a king. A king needs to be in control. A king needs to be in charge. A king needs to know the answers and be able to solve everybody's problems. But David, he truly acknowledges his need for God's strength in his life because he was weak and God is strong. See, in the end, prayer is not asking God for a little boost or a quick answer or uh, maybe an understanding of something. It's acknowledging to him and anyone who's listening that our need for God's dependence in our life is total and complete. doesn't matter who we are, how well off we are, king of Israel, we still desperately need God in control of our lives. So we always bring our messages back to Jesus. We do that because we understand that Jesus was a perfect sacrifice and a perfect savior for us. And so in understanding Jesus as the ultimate example for us, I want to look at some of the ways Jesus prayed. David was an incredible, passionate worshiper, prayer. He was incredible in the way he came to God. And we've seen some of that today and all through the Psalms. I encourage you to read through the Psalms when you have a chance. If you want to learn how to pray and confidence and knowing God's attributes and why we pray, just read through the Psalms. But Jesus himself was incredible in prayer. So in Matthew 14, 23, it says, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Matthew 26, 36, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus was continually praying. Luke 6, 12, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places so that he could pray. Luke 18, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Jesus knew the importance of prayer. 
He modeled it to us. He modeled to us what a committed prayer life was, that consistently coming to God. And he did two things that I want us to recognize before we go today. Jesus prayed for others, and Jesus prayed with others. Jesus prayed for others. All through the Gospels, we see people coming to Jesus for prayer. Sometimes Jesus calls them to him. Other times, people just show up and say, please pray for me. Uh, one of my favorite verses that, that kind of describes this is in Matthew 19. It's 13 through 15. You know this story. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. There's a lot going on in these verses. The children are important in the heart and the intent of the children coming to Jesus is what Jesus is trying to show the disciples as being most important. There's so much going on. Jesus is teaching and there's people that want to talk to him and there's important things that need to be had and these kids come walking up and two things happen. Jesus goes, guys, these kids are doing the right thing. Let's follow their heart and leadership and you know what? Let's pray for them. Because the most important thing we can do right now is pray for them. It's incredible. And then Jesus, he truly prayed for others, but then Jesus prayed with others as well. He showed an example. He would often pray alone, but he knew the value of praying with others. He did this a lot with his disciples. In Luke 9, 28, Jesus took Peter, John, James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. He wanted to teach them what it meant to pray, to get away, to be isolated, and to really focus on God. And in Acts 1.14, we're learning about the early church and their interaction with each other and with God through prayer life. It reminds us the importance of all of us praying together. It says in 1.14, Acts 1.14, that they all join together constantly in prayer. What an incredible image of the church that they're continuously in prayer together. So on that note, I want to end today doing something a little different. Um, uh, I've asked Adrian to come up. She's going to come up in a moment. And myself, we'd like to pray for you guys. Uh, we're going to go into a time of worship. Um, Jay and the team are going to lead us, and we're going to continue just worship. Um, um, I'll be over here, and Adrian will be over here. And if you would like prayer, we'd like to pray for you. If you'd like to pray with us or for us, we'd like to do that. We just want to demonstrate a little bit of what it means for us to pray together and not to neglect talking about prayer all this time and then not doing it. So we just want to spend some time in prayer. Let me pray for us and then we'll worship and we'll pray together. God, you are incredible and we are grateful to know you. Um, Lord, this time is a time where we have the chance to lift our songs of praise. We get to sing some words that mean something very deeply to us as your children. And we also get to pray for each other. Maybe we'll pray for each other just sitting in our seats today. Maybe we'll take time while the songs are being sung to just think of those that are on our mind and that we need to bring forward in prayer. Maybe... We'll take some time to think about things in our life that we haven't brought to you in prayer because we've neglected it or felt that maybe you don't need to hear this. We don't need to burden you with it. And Lord, as Adrian and I are up front, I pray that we can also be an encouragement to those that might want to come forward and bring those requests together to you. 
Lord, bless this time. We worship you. Teach us to be a praying church. Um, We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.